I call up my friend and uh, who's also left the church, but I'm thinking they're going to think I'm crazy if I tell them this. And I just said, hey, I know this sounds real silly, but, you know, here, here's what I've, I've learned. And they go, you know, the celestial kingdom, you know, the celestial kingdom. And I'm like, well, yeah, obviously that's like the top level of heaven. That's where you want to go in Mormonism. And he, you know, he's uh, ex-Mormon. He goes, I've been there. <laughs> he <laughs> proceeds to tell me he had grown mushrooms and tried them and had this visionary experience. And I'm like, I'm sold. The amazing thing about the mushrooms is that they speak. They talk to you. They will answer questions, carry on conversations. Psilocybin just pulls up a chair on the porch and puts its feet up. Hey, welcome to another episode of Psilocybin Says. This is Courtney Rose. And Derek Osborne. Thank you for joining us for another episode. Today, uh, we are interviewing Daniel Lyon from Psychedelic Stories podcast. Eric was recently interviewed by Daniel on his podcast. Then I was interviewed by Daniel on his podcast, which just went live recently. So you may check out that episode. You'll hear me talk about stories with the mushroom that I have never shared publicly. So there's some pretty interesting ones there. Oh, I can't wait to listen. (laughs) Yeah. We really enjoyed this interview with Daniel. He is such a sincere uh, and heartfelt person. He is a dad of five, I think. Five or six six children. And him and his wife and family recently left the Mormon church. And during that time of leaving, he started diving into the world of psychedelics for healing and spiritual discovery. And we talked all about that. So... I would definitely encourage you to listen all the way through on this episode. Uh, I think it just gets better and better as the conversation goes on. Oh, I think it'd be hard not to listen to the entire episode. It was really packed with some powerful emotional material, especially if you're a parent. So do be mindful uh, of that, that this this conversation gets deep and Daniel gets, yes, so real. That's one of the things that I have really respected from him from go when he had me on his podcast i could just see that he was very clearly a compassionate authentic individual uh, and was the main reason that i wanted to invite our the main the main reason that we wanted to invite him on our show is because he just seems and i think is a real gem in the psychedelic space so much love and much appreciation to daniel also grateful that he would share his UAP experiences <laughs> with me and us. I, yes, I enjoyed listening to that. I was surprised. I didn't, uh, I'm always a little surprised when people share their experiences with uh, otherworldly phenomena. Yeah, it's getting more and more common. We're going to see where that goes. Anyway, I hope you do enjoy this episode so much, and I hope you will also leave us a five-star rating on iTunes Spotify, Stitcher, wherever it is. And if you're watching this on YouTube, go ahead and give it a thumbs up and even leave a comment. Let us know what you think. There is so much to comment on on this episode. Ask questions even. Questions. Because we're going to do another interview with Daniel. It's coming. We enjoy talking to him too much to not do another one. For sure. For sure. But we also really want to hear from you, our listeners. What are you thinking? 
Are you enjoying these conversations? What aspects are you particularly enjoying? What would you like to hear or see more of? We love your feedback. And the YouTube comment thread is one of the best places to give that feedback. Definitely. Also hit the notification bell so that you are alerted when Eric goes live on Monday evenings for the on psilocybin live stream Q&A, which uh, you've been having more guest hosts recently, which Mm -hmm. is a pretty cool little twist. So those have been great. Yeah, it's a nice informal way and place to talk about our experiences and question our understandings and just get to know each other and Uh, Yeah, spread the conversation. Love to see you there. Thanks as always for listening. Hope you enjoy. Daniel, welcome to Psilocybin Says. Thanks for having me. This is exciting. What a privilege. Yeah, Yeah, well, I love this idea of us like kind of co-releasing these podcasts together or promoting it all, you know. Love supporting other people's work when it's in in alignment with ours and Mm -hmm. uh, definitely feel that way after getting to know you and hearing some of your podcasts and just the work that you're doing to share authentic stories around psychedelics is so valuable for the, the the movement, the community, those who are not yet initiated. So, yeah, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself to start off? Yeah, great. Uh, so, so my name is Daniel. I grew up uh, up in Alaska, small town in Alaska, um, just outside of Anchorage, Eagle River, it's called. And so... Uh, spent my life up there, or you know, my early years up there. Cold, long, cold winters, short, uh, very uh, short summers with lots of daylight. You know, very little, very little darkness in the summer. Uh, was part of a devout Mormon family, so my parents were converts to the church. So none of our family, like my cousins or anything like that, are Mormon. Just my parents. My dad got uh, real into it. He was in the Navy. I'm a, their, my parents' marriage was about to fall apart, so he was trying to, you know, kind of reform himself. Met a guy on a navy ship who was, you know, smoking a joint, and <laughs> the, the other guy, the Mormon, was was smoking a joint and okay. shared the Book of Mormon with my dad. <laughs> Somehow, <laughs> I don't know how that happened. And my dad like read it in three days and was like, "I'm in," you know, like forever. <laughs> so, family of five children, you know, we all grew up in it. My older brothers went on uh, Mormon missions, and then I wasn't too into it as a kid. I, I kind of hated church, actually. But, um, you know, as I got into the teen years, they start really pushing uh, morality teachings and things like that. And I started having a lot of guilt set in for just a couple, you know, minor, normal teenage things I'd done. I thought, well, I'm going not to hell. I'm going to outer darkness. There's like there's like even even worse version of Mormonism. So, Oh, really? But any, oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, at least there was. They've probably softened it now, but <laughs> you know how that goes. It gets worse than hell? <laughs> oh, yeah, pretty much. Um, oh. Anything but the oh, top but the top level of heaven in Mormonism is kind of hell. I mean, the lower kingdoms of heaven don't, I mean, they sound like nice, but they're like, but that's it. You'll never learn or grow more or whatever, but... Uh, you know, there's a whole rabbit hole of Mormon doctrine you can go down. But, um, yeah, so anyway, so my brothers went on missions. You know, I would read their letters, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, this sounds hard. You know, they're out there, like, knocking on doors, street contacting. My oldest brother went to Japan. You know, Christianity, I don't even think, I don't, I don't know how big it is over there, but I, they just weren't. And, and then you got Mormonism, which is super small. So it just sounded super hard. My other brother went to Russia. So he's walking around in the cold winters, knocking on apartment doors. And those people didn't, you know. And, and then they would like every once in a while meet someone who would join the church, like very rarely. 
And then that person would kind of like, you know, after a few months stop coming. So I was like, I was like, if there's any way I can get out of this, I will. But yeah, I believed, I believe. It's like, what country so, am I going to go to? Oh, geez. Yeah. So anyway, I didn't, I don't mean, I want you to get too, too into that, but you know, I ended up going on a mission too. Uh, I went to New Zealand, which was a cool place, but oh, okay. very hard, very hard experience. You know, I didn't get to go hang out at the beach. It was a grind day to day, knocking on doors. And I, I tried to be, I tried to really follow the rules because I wanted to be obedient. You know, we were told we would be blessed for that and that people's salvation depended on our obedience. So that was a lot of pressure, mm. but, um, got back, you know, met my wife very quickly, got married very quickly. We have five children. Uh, I mean, life is sometimes a blur, <laughs> you know, I'm just family life. You're busy, work, school, education. So I work, I do, um, like financial analysis, budget analysis with a background in accounting. So nothing super exciting, but you know, it pays the bills and I've, I've tried to do well and, and perform, perform well at work so I can support my family, you know, make friendships with pe the people I work with. Um, you know, you always, there's always challenges in the workplace with different personalities and stuff like that too. But yeah, so then uh, we were, you know, happy Mormons and doing our thing. And then a few years back, I, uh, I was aware a lot of people were stepping away from the church. My brother left, uh, my sister-in-law, she's gay. She left, you know, understandably, it's not a great place if you're gay when they teach that that's a sin. So, um, you know, we had family members leaving people in our congregation every year or so a family would kind of disappear and you're like, why did they leave? I don't know. I knew there were some online personalities who were, you know, pushing half truths about the church and was what we were told, things like that. Uh, but eventually I started to read some of it because I, I, I was, there's some things that just weren't sitting right with me. And they said we couldn't use the word Mormon anymore. <laughs> and I'm like, what? I've been a Mormon my whole life. Like they, they want to kind of rebrand. So this is like a few years back, the president mm -hmm. of the church gave a speech and he said, uh, using the word Mormon, it's a victory for Satan. And I was like, what the hell? What? <gasps> what? Like I, I was sitting on my couch watching. I'm like, I'm literally like my, like my psyche kind of just like sort of fractured slightly. And I was like, what just did he just say? Cause like, I don't know. That's, uh, that was my identity. I mean, they even did. And my first thought was I had seen some article saying that the church had paid millions of dollars for this public relations campaign called I'm a Mormon just a few years before. I don't know if you guys ever saw, probably not where you live. You guys I do, yeah, I do that. remember seeing that actually. And he'd like show someone with tattoos and they're like, I'm a Mormon yeah. too. You know, they're like, I'm smoking I a joint. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe the guy my dad met on the Navy. <laughs> but I, so I looked into it and then I start finding these YouTube videos and these people are posting these clips. And like 30 years ago, the church president said like, I, he wasn't the president then. He's like, I, we shouldn't use the word Mormon. And then the current president at that time kind of rebuffed him. But now, you know, 30 years later, he rose to the top and he's like, we're done with the word Mormon. You know? But the problem is nobody knows the church by anything other than Mormon. It, it would be one of like the hardest rebrands in the history of the world. I don't know. So, so anyway, I started going, oh, and then I looked up the history of the name of the church and it had been called like five different things, like at the very beginning. So I was like, and then I was like, oh, this is weird. And then this history book came out, a new church history book, and the stories were different. They're weaving in elements I had never heard of before, except for from my brother who was telling me, 
quote unquote anti Mormon lies because he had left the church. And now those lies are in the history book. And I'm reading it and I'm going, is it? You know, these are people I've trusted my whole life as authority figures. I, I've actually kind of feared them a little bit because sometimes they, t you know, oftentimes they tell me I need to be doing better. Or I need to be going on a mission. I need to repent, things like that. And now I'm going, oh no, could it be possible that they're purposely like hiding things from me? Not just like accidentally omitting things. And that's when I gave myself permission to kind of go down a rabbit hole. And I came to the conclusion that for me, at least, I, you know, I, I felt some things were being purposely concealed for, you know, most of my life. It's just kind of hard now with the internet and they can't, they can't really keep a lid on things, but, you know, and other people can come to different conclusions. I don't want to, mm -hmm. um, I don't want every other Mormon out there to think, well, you need to leave the church too, because it's, uh, it's an important part of people's lives. It's their community. It's their way to uh, connect spiritually to, you know, uh, higher power or to, with other people, things like that. So, yeah, so I kind of went down that rabbit hole. And then eventually, I eventually came across this essay by some people, this one doctor, he was like a physician, and then some other guy who's just kind of like an independent, liked researching history. And they were, they were theorizing that uh, like entheogenic substances or like psychedelics, like ergot derived stuff, uh, you know, LSD-type substances were being used in early sacraments by Joseph Smith. And I'm just like, my jaw kind of dropped. And I'm like, wait a second. Because they were pointing out how early on, uh, there's all these visions and, uh, you know, angelic appearances. God is appearing to Joseph Smith at the dedication of this Kirtland temple. Angels are appearing above the temple. And I read this stuff growing up thinking, oh, I wish I could see that. It'd be so cool to just know for sure that, this all happened or to, just to be able to interact with an angel, you know, I mean, how cool would that be? At least that's what I thought. Um, but this essay was talking about how, and, but because uh, the stuff I read was very uh, like kind of editorialized, I guess, or whatever that they, they left out certain things. There'd be lots of ellipses and stuff in the, in the, <laughs> in the quotes. Cause it's like, not only did the angels appear, there were demons, you know, like it was some dude did a backflip cause he was, <laughs> was possessed by a demon or you know i i specifically remember a backflip or somersault somewhere in there but um. are you looking for a community that allows you to authentically express and explore what it means to be human one that honors the divinity within you and all life then sanctuary may be just the community you have been looking for Sanctuary is a faith-based organization centered around the sacrament of sacred mushrooms for spiritual exploration and personal development. You are invited to become a member and commune with us. Join us for a Sunday Zoom service or a weekend sacred mushroom retreat in the beautiful Kentucky countryside. Visit psanctuary.org to become a member and find more information. I call up my friend and uh, who's also left the church, but I'm thinking they're going to think I'm crazy if I tell them this. And I just said, hey, I know this sounds real silly, but, you know, here, here's what I've, I've learned. And they go, you know, the celestial kingdom, you know, the celestial kingdom. And I'm like, well, yeah, obviously, that's like the top level of heaven. That's where you want to go in Mormonism. And he, you know, he's uh, ex-Mormon. He goes, I've been there. <laughs> he <laughs> proceeds to tell me he had grown mushrooms and tried them and had this visionary experience. And I'm like... I'm sold, you know, so, mm -hmm. so, but, uh, you know, I had to kind of 
get my wife on board. And that took a little while, you know, do some researching. And because I had heard a little bit about it on Joe Rogan and stuff. And, but, you know, I thought, well, Joe Rogan, he's like, he's one of these celebrity people. He's got tattoo sleeves. He's probably tried every drug imaginable, you know, whatever. That's, you know, this could be harmful. But then I came across like Michael Pollan's book. And that was a real good introduction to it for me because it wasn't just like, oh, this isn't just hippie stuff. This is like really people are surfacing events from their lives and working through them. They're having these kind of visionary experiences that are very personal, pers- you know, personal in nature. So that that kind of led to my my first mushroom, first of a number of mushroom experiences. So, yeah. so I'm I'm curious when you started going down the crazy anti Mormon rabbit hole. <laughs> um, what, did your was your wife kind of right along there with you? Like I'm curious about the the transition out of the church and like how that was for you and your family. Yeah, at times that was kind of like walking a tightrope, it felt like. Um, so I, I came across it. Um, we had seen, you know, we, we would see people leave the church and then uh, the church is kind of, I mean, they're, it's kind of brilliant. What they do is they kind of tell you, well, when people leave the church, these are the things that are going to happen. You know, they're going to be angry. They're going to want to party, do all this stuff. Well, yeah, of course, a lot of people were angry and they did party and things like that. And so we'd see that and you know, you don't really want that to happen to you. Um, and it, the church kind of, you, you, like, you don't want to be like the evil person or whatever, you know, right. or, or get divorced. I mean, we've seen a lot yeah, of divorces sure. too, because one yeah. person leaves, the other person doesn't. It's like Mormonism is not just like, well, yeah, I think I'll go this month or something. I mean, mm-hmm. for some people there are, there's different kind of Mormons, just like they're different kind of Catholics or, you know, different kind of psychedelics users, things like that. But anyway, so, I actually started researching this stuff and I didn't tell my wife initially because I'm like, oh shit, this could, I could end up just like my brother divorced. Mm-hmm. My kids could hate me because his kids were just like, he's gone down the evil path. I, I thought he did too, but I, but I mean, I tried to be respectful of him. We did get in a pretty big fight, but fortunately I actually resolved it before I, I left the church. I just felt like I needed to be more respectful of his beliefs and from the beginning, I thought he should be able to you know, teach his kids what he wanted to because they're his kids, even though he left. But um, so for me, I started, I was, my thing is podcasts, you know, because I just don't have a ton of time to read books. So I, doing my accounting stuff, as long as I'm doing stuff that doesn't require like a lot, uh, if it's repetitive stuff that I'm doing, I'm listen, I could listen to podcasts for hours a day at work. So I, I just went down this rabbit hole of podcasts and, you know, re- reality is just breaking at new levels every day. And I'm like, how do I tell my wife this? I'm like, I'm just going to have to pretend as some people do just to maintain relationships and stuff. There are people who are completely, what do they call it? Physically in mentally out or something like that. And if you look at the ex Mormon Reddit, people who are bishops, all kinds of stuff, you know, just cause especially if you live in Utah and like your business could depend on it, things like that, your reputation. Cause the minute, the minute someone knows you're, you don't believe it's like a slap in the face to them. It's like, well, this is very important to me. It can be, I don't want to make generalizations, but eventually I'm like, okay, if I know how I viewed anti-Mormon material when <clears throat> I saw other people talking about it. So if I just throw this stuff in my wife's face, she's going to, she could have like a backlash, uh, like a grab onto the church, like stronger. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to lose our relationship. So I, I started finding all these sources from the church 
And a lot of the anti-Mormon material is just actually just old church stuff that's no longer considered okay to talk about, like from the beginning of the church pretty much. And it's really, it's, it's strange. It's strange how it all works. So I found this essay that had kind of had suggested that the nature of the Godhead had changed over the first 10 years of the church. Because in Mormonism, God and Jesus are separate beings. They're resurrected beings with perfected bodies of flesh and bone, is what they say. So different than like pretty much all of Christianity, which I, or most, I'm not a doctrinal expert on any religion, but you know, a lot of them believe in the Trinity and stuff. So basically, you know, that was a key point. These two appeared to Joseph Smith. So and I, I was a devout member because I believed the doctrine, not just because I'm like, this is an awesome community, you know? And so I shared that essay with my wife and I thought, oh no, she's going to want to leave me. And as she's listening to it, I'm getting to the part about the Godhead and I'm getting real nervous. But the way this guy lays it out, he does it real well. She's got her eyes closed, her head back. And I'm like, she's, she's pissed. And I read it to her and I'm almost getting ready to cry telling her about it. Cause I was worried to tell her about it. And then she starts snoring <laughs> and I'm like, Oh crap. She'd fall asleep while I was reading the essay. So, so I like read it to her the next day and she's like, Oh, okay. Like it just wasn't really like clicking with her. She's like, mm, okay. All right. I guess that's kind of weird, you know? And I'm like, weird. I'm like, this is, this is just monumental, you know? And then of course I had like 30 other things I wanted to tell her, but I didn't cause I didn't want to scare her off. So she started reading that same history book and she got into some of the footnotes on polygamy because growing up, we knew Brigham Young had wives. You can't hide that. It's in the, you know, it's all over. We didn't know Joseph Smith had practiced polygamy or polyandry, which, um, crap, I just forgot the name, the definition. Polyandry is, um, where, is that where you have a married person is with another married person? I can't remember. Polyandry is, uh, to or is it multiple multiple polyandry is multiple men single woman oh that's right okay so i can't so maybe it's just polygamy but um he he did it where so we're reading these footnotes and she learns the early days of the church we were always taught the church was persecuted you know because of satan you know satan wants to thwart the truth coming Mm -hmm. to the, the world so we're thinking all these mobs of people trying to get trying to arrest Joseph Smith, or it's all on false charges and stuff. Well, a lot of it had to do with him uh, just like people were mad because he was trying to propose marriage to their, like their young daughter who, you know, uh, when he was already married, the parents didn't know, things like that. He would do it all in secret, these secret polygamous marriages. And then what he did do is he sent some people over, some men overseas secretly had a polygamous marriage with their wives while they were gone. And it's like, whoa, okay. shit, you know, Don't like this is. <clears throat> so she got into that and she never liked polygamy anyway, because there's this weird thing where the church never denounced it. They said they had to, um, they had to like stop it because the law or they got some revelation conveniently after the United States government threatened to shut him down or something. <laughs> it always seems to happen that way. But, uh, and so she got it and she's like, this is disgusting, you know, cause, cause even present day in the Mormon temple. So two people get sealed. Like my wife and I were, our marriage was a temple marriage. So we were married in the, the robe, the temple. Like I wore, we wore these temple robes and I, I had this temple hat thing and, uh, 
green apron and everything like you don't get you don't get wedding pictures in that in those clothes you can't well you can look it up online just mormon okay. temple clothing it's quite it's interesting it's actually similar to a lot of the freemason some some of the freemasonry clothing okay because a lot of the temple ceremony joseph smith kind of took from the freemason uh ceremonies and then like adapted them like meshed them with Mormonism and Christian theology type stuff. So anyway, so she's like, oh, this is, you know, this, this sucks. And then we're still going to church. We're like, well, this is our faith tradition. It's like our family and everything. But I mean, then there was like these tense discussions because she's worried like, well, what, am I going to become like my brother? Because my brother got divorced and then, you know, he started, you know, partying and having relationships with, you know, he's dating a lot and, uh, you know, doing his thing. So she's like super worried, like, what's this going to mean for our, our relationship? And I'm like, I, I'm not going to change my lifestyle. I just, I, I was like, I don't believe anymore. I'll keep going to church as long as you want. I'll answer all the questions they want, you know, because I, and we have uh, six children. We lost one of our children, but we have five children at home. And, you know, I, I didn't want to break up our family. I, I know, I just imagine that'd be devastating to our kids and uh, to us. Mm-hmm. So very tough kind of walking a tightrope, but eventually we both read a book and read some essays on the some of the sexual abuse problems in the church, which we didn't know about because uh, the Catholic church is more decentralized and it's way bigger. So those stories have been in the news for years, but in the Mormon church, it's highly centralized and it's extremely, it's an extremely wealthy institution. Like the Catholic Church is broken up into dioceses and stuff. And I was just listening to a uh, podcast with an attorney who's gone up against the church. And it's probably the single wealthiest church in, in the United States. Um, like with assets, I think he said approaching $1 trillion. When you look at not all just their uh, investment, their investment fund, but tons of uh, real estate, farmland, apartment complexes, hotels. I mean, it's... It's a, it's a big deal. So anyway, um, we read about the sexual abuse and kind of some of the, the cover-up stuff. You know, you can't, any communi- community could have sexual abuse in it, but, you know, how it's handled is a, is a big deal. So we kind of learned about some of the cover-up stuff and just realized, well, if something happened to one of our children, the church's attorneys are going to look out for the church. They're not going to look out for our children because they have. A, it's been in the news lately. There's like a hotline that they tell church leaders to call. And it goes straight to the church's law firm, <laughs> which and, uh, those attorneys have a legal obligation to protect the assets of the church is what this attorney was saying. They, they cannot offer guidance legally that would be in the best interest of a victim. So that was like the final straw. Oh, wow. And yeah, so then we it's still, I mean, we had probably, you know, a, a year or so where it's like, we're figuring things out. It's hard. Did we make the right choice? You know, our family relationships just... Uh, were kind of obliterated, you know. So, uh, yeah, kind of a long-winded answer. Sorry, I'm not. No, that's huge. That's, that's huge. Yeah. That's huge. How long ago was this? So I, I, um, it was like the fall of 2018 is when I, I started really digging in, and then by like the spring of 2019, we stopped. So it's been stopped going. So it's been over three years, but um. I think, you know, it's, it's been a process and we're kind of each finding ourselves and finding our own identity, but also, you know, maintaining our family, our family identity and relationships and trying to nurture those. So, you know, I, I, 
I don't, I couldn't say that my wife and I have like the same belief system, even like I, I don't, I, sometimes we don't know what we, <laughs> what exactly what we believe or yeah. have this firm. And I'm kind of like, well, that's okay. It's, it's kind of nice to just, I'm just keep an open mind. I, I mean, I think it's nice for people who want a sort of a strict belief system to have that. It's fine. And then for me, I'm kind of, I've just kind of, enjoyed having this more inquisitive approach and going, huh, well, what about that? What about this? Interesting mm -hmm. idea here or there. So when you first engaged with psilocybin, how did the, this life experience turn up, if at all, within that? Oh, well, lots. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I, I wanted, I thought, oh, this would be really cool to have a vision. Actually, yeah, I, <laughs> I wanted it bad. I'm like, show me something. I'm ready, baby. You know? Right. <laughs> uh, and of course, you know, I was listening, but you know, I listen, sound like there's some hard experiences too, but I'm like, okay, well, bring it. I, I want to know. I want to know. So, I mean, I would say, oh, gosh, like these life experiences have turned up a ton. So, like even the first time I did psilocybin, oh, I, I was actually thinking it'd be cool because it was kind of hard losing. Like it kind of felt like a lot of my life had been a waste because I had devoted so much time to an institution and a belief system that I no longer believed in. So I'm like, well, it was just like was just so much of my life a waste, kind of. I, I don't know, and then psilocybin and, and other psychedelics have really helped me to come to a point where I'm like, no, actually it's part of this school of life that I'm in and that I'm learning from. And actually uh, on the podcast and interviewing other people has helped me realize that too. But I mean, I have had so many personal experiences like surface in vivid detail on psychedelics. It's, it's crazy. There's been times where I've just kind of had to take a little bit of a break just to process things because it's so intense. I mean, mm -hmm. um, I mean, I've got some experiences I could share um, just briefly. Um, the, the first one, the one that um, surfaced on my first experience was because oh, I, I kind of, and again, coming back to like losing belief and then trying to fill that void. I, because we lost one of our children, our son, Noah, he, uh, um, he died when he was 18 months old back in 2013. So he was our third of the six children. We had just found out we were pregnant with our fourth and our son passed away in his sleep at 18 months old, later than it normally would happen. You know, usually it's under a year. So highly traumatic experience, super difficult loss, mm. um, something that, you know, you just never, it's just always going to be there. Part, part of your life now, that, that, that loss, mm. that missing element. But uh, I, I thought, well, It'd be really neat if I could connect with him somehow. Like if, if there is something beyond this, I don't even know, you know, but if there is something beyond it, I'd love to. <laughs> Sorry. It's okay. <laughs> I just, just wanted to communicate with him. Yeah. And um, so, I mean, it and psychedelics, you can never kind of predict what's going to happen. So, um, you know, I, I took the mushrooms the first time and, uh, not, you know, not, not really knowing what to expect. It was like I got uh, just transported, like just like whoosh, I, I don't know how to explain it. But all of a sudden I was in another realm and, you know, I closed my eyes and blindfolded because I'd read in 
and how to change your mind. They did that. And I'm like, I want to go deep, you know? So blindfolded myself and it's like automatically just got transported to the funeral home where, uh, you know, he died because I had left for work and my wife found him, you know, after it. Cause I left for work pretty early. I had started work at seven o'clock, um, at that time. And, uh, you know, I didn't get to see his body for a few days. They, they kept it. They, they took it. They wouldn't let me see him when I got to the house. My, my coworker drove me there. I, my body wasn't even really like hardly functioning, you know, because I just, I, it's like, I just want my baby back, you know, I just want to go back to the way things were. And, uh, but so I didn't get to see his body for like two days. And, uh, they, they treated us really kind of almost like suspects, you know, cause I guess just because bad things do happen to children, so it was an un, you know, unattended death, so they have to investigate it and stuff. But, but that sucked, you know. So they're like questioning us and everything, and uh, taking things from our house, from our medicine cabinet, and all kind of like weird stuff, like cutting open the mattress and taking it. And, uh, you know, um, it's just whatever. That's their job, I guess. And it's, my wife hates, will forever hate police <laughs> because of that. But. Um, <clears throat> So I got like transported to the funeral home and when I was there with his body, you know, I just kind of, I touched, like just touching his little hands and feet, you know, they were, (sighs) just cold to the touch, you know, didn't have that warmth and, um, that he had when he was alive, but it was actually an important experience for me because I realized that, you know, whatever it was that animated his body, you know, that was, I, I felt like that was his spirit. That's what I understood it to be because that's what I was taught. And so I just, I still call it that, but that, you know, energy, I know you guys kind of talk about energies and things. So, um, so I just, you know, I'd run my fingers through his hair and things like that. And so in, in the mushroom ship, I was just, you know, running my fingers through his hair. I felt that pain, that pain really intensely. And, uh, but there's something about mushrooms that, uh, it's like, they can uh, let you relive you know, intensely painful experiences, but kind of wrap you in a blanket of love as well. And uh, so it wasn't what I was expecting. You know, I kind of wanted to communicate with him or see him or something, but um, I, I did. I, I saw his, his little body, you know, and it was a reminder of that, that experience. And uh, I think with these psychedelic experiences, um, they they have surfaced a lot of life events, a lot of challenging events from my own past, even something as early as like four years old for me. Uh, and it's allowed me to just kind of integrate those experiences into my life and uh, just acknowledge that there are very painful experiences in life, uh, also very joyous experiences. I've relived, relived some of those too. So um, didn't realize how emotional I would get. I thought I could just talk mm-hmm. about that. But, you know, sometimes those things just hit you. And so... It's helped me yeah. to open up a lot too about different life events and talk to my wife, talk to friends about things. Um, it's helped me acknowledge times where I've struggled with mental health, things like that. You know, depression, anxiety. So it's been uh, it's been wild. Thank you for thank you for sharing that. And I just can't even imagine how hard that would be. We have an eighteen month old now, so God, yeah, I just. My heart goes out to you all. I can only imagine the healing Thanks. process. Thanks. Yeah. It's like you just you just don't wish that on anyone, you know, definitely. Uh, 
taking a moment to feel that. Yeah, I just, that's, I don't know. I don't know how that can, I don't know how something like that can not always hurt. I don't know how. You know, it, it does. Um, we we make sure he's part of our life. He's still part of our life, sort of part of our family. So uh, one of the things we do is uh, on the anniversary of his death, that's in, in February of each year, um, we, <clears throat> you know, we try to do something thoughtful for him, watch some home videos, things like that. We, we love, I mean, thank goodness we had gotten smartphones, you know, just around the time he was born because we got some really fun home videos. Uh, just, uh, what a sweet little guy. <laughs> I mean, just a lot of fun. So it's nice to, to try to focus on feelings of gratitude. Sometimes you just need to feel the pain and, and with time, you know, so you're not feeling that intense pain like all the time, every day, just because you have to, you have to go about life and um, work and got children to raise and, and have experiences with. But uh, yeah, how is yeah. that? How, how has that experience impacted your, not your worldview, but just your perspective and your engagement with, with life and with the children that are still here? Yeah. Um, well, it, it had an immediate effect. Uh, definitely. I just, I realized, you know, at the time, I think I was like a, I was a, a fin- I mean, I was doing, I was a financial analyst at the time. I, I wanted to advance uh, in my career and, you know, move into upper management, earn more money, support my family, hopefully have like a comfortable living, get into a house, things like that, which, you know, those things have happened. But I definitely kind of put the brakes on things. And what was most important was just, you know, quality time with family, getting home for dinner every night with my kids, being able to read books to them. Or, you know, um, some of my kids, they like having a little back scratch before bed. Or, you know, my one son, he's like, uh, I want a deep tissue massage, you know, my back. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so, um, you know, they, they all have different personalities. And I like that. You know, I want them to be unique and different. They don't need to be, they don't need to have the same hobbies as me. They don't need to, you know, my, my oldest son's really into gaming. And so I try to encourage him with that he's starting his own podcast where he's interviewing his buddies and they tell stories about mm-hmm. the video the first video game they played and you know blah blah, blah you know that kind of stuff so mm-hmm. um yeah it's a, it's affected everything i think mm-hmm. um you know and we're real open with it my my oldest two they can they have some memories of that day too i mean my wife i mean it, it was I, she called me on the phone that day from the i i could not I could hardly understand what she was saying. It was it was the most terrifying sound that I heard on the phone. My oldest two were right there, and they thought they heard her screaming, and they thought she was joking about something. And then she brought Noah out, and he his body had become stiff, and the, the blood had settled, you know, in his face because he was he was just lying, you know, lying down on his stomach. And you know, they just like they just got on their knees and were praying. Because you know we were we taught them religion very well. They're just praying to bring Noah back, you know. And so, um, so definitely. So can I ask a Can I ask a question? So, um, yeah. was where 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 was this? Remind remind us where this was in the timeline of you leaving the church. Oh, so this was a while. This was a while ago. This was 2013 when he okay. died. So okay. he died. Our, uh, then our fourth child was born in October. So we, we literally just got pregnant. And um, we actually were living in Denver at the time. We moved out to Las Vegas just before for a new for a different job, uh, just before 
our fourth child was born and then we had you know two more children so it's a real busy period from you know, like mm-hmm. 2013 to then 2018 when we started leaving the church and his loss really complicated our leaving the church too mm-hmm. because when i came to my wife uh to to say like i don't really believe the church is what it claims it is well that has direct ties to our family and our understanding of the afterlife and being mm-hmm. with our son again right. so and that affects all of our family who looks to us as an example of someone who has faith even through a difficult circumstance or through our church mem- our church community who also heard that story and heard us talk about our hope for living the kind of life that we could be with him again. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- this was all very complicated. That's kind of what I was wondering. Yeah. How yeah. yeah. Hey, so let me tell you a few things that happened. This is, this is interesting. I'm, I'm glad you asked this. Lots of emotions, lots of anger, lots of argument. I mean, this is, <laughs> things just blew up. So my mom would say things like, well, just think of your eternal family. You know, when she heard we were leaving the church, you know, like, like hinting, like, remember Noah, you know, or, you know, remember your son. Like, shit, you know, okay. So you're going to throw that at me. And my sister, you know, my sister, she's like, well, you know, we, we, all, we, we all know the doctrine, you know. And so my, my brother-in-law said that. My other brother-in-law was like, oh, I wish we got to you sooner, things like that. So not all of it was directed towards our son, but probably the worst one for me because I'm not as sensitive to this stuff now. I've kind of, I think actually with time and, and with psychedelics, I've kind of gained some strength and kind of looked inside more for my own self-worth as opposed to looking to fa- uh, extended family or even my, even immediate family. I've had to kind of find myself. My wife is finding herself. You know, each of our kids are. But just before we left for good, I had really tried when we did leave. I, I tried to maintain good relationships with family because I wanted them to know we were decent people. We still had family values, things like that. I kind of wanted to prove myself to them. Well, <clears throat> I mean, that didn't really matter. I, <laughs> I kind of helped. It kind of worked. But something that was real hard is I was having these things surface, these past events, things around Noah, not just that. We could do a whole episode on my Mormon mission because that was a that was a wild experience. You know, I told you it was high pressure. It wasn't just like go out and like we're gonna preach the word and you know it's just, we're all happy. It was like it was kind of like being part of a sales organization. Like we had to record our numbers and blah blah. blah. And then there's all these speeches about you know it's all on you if you don't if you're not obedient. People are gonna approach you in the le- next life and tell you that. They could have had the gospel sooner if it weren't for your disobedience and stuff like that. And these these things really got internalized into me. Some missionaries didn't care; they just went swimming at the beach anyway. But I got, I, I'm jealous of them now. New Zealand, these one guys, they went spear fishing and stuff. It was like you know, it was, they had a great time. But so as we're leaving, you know, all this stuff is surfacing. I actually had I. I confronted my parents because I was like, you, you pushed me out on a mission and I had real bad depression. You knew, you know, you knew I, I had struggled with some depression in high school. You pushed me out there, pressured me to stay, especially my dad, because he wanted to brag about having three sons serve missions and blah, blah, blah. And, and he's someone who struggled with his own mental health. <laughs> so it's like, you know, and I was supportive of him getting out of situations that affected his mental health negatively, but he wanted me to finish a mission. So I stayed and it was, took a toll on me. 
But as I was leaving, I was real pissed at him. And his response, you know, so I, I confronted them about these things. And when you confront people about things you're upset about, about the past, you, you don't get the response you want. It can kind of make things worse. So he said something like, well, you have a good life, you know, so, um, and I'm like, oh, all right. Okay. So now I'm just going to, yeah, I, I was just so angry. And, and I, but I said to him on the phone, I said, you know, it's real hard being friends with you when I know you don't think I'm going to be with my son again. And, you know, with Noah, and he said, uh, Oh, well, that can be taken care of with some temple work, you know, because in, I don't know if you're aware, but in Mormon temples, you go, the first time you go for your own um, ordinance, you know, salvation-related ordinances. So there's, in Mormonism, you're baptized, you receive the gift of the Holy Ghost after that, which is called confirmation. And then you, when you're, for young men, when you're going to go on a mission, or young women, uh, if they go on a mission, or Otherwise, before they get married, you would go to the temple and receive your temple endowment, which is like another ordinance on top of that, necessary for the highest level of salvation. And then, of course, to really ensure things, you, know, you want to be sealed in the temple to, in a marriage. And so after you do those things the first time, you don't go back and do them again for yourself. You do them for deceased relatives. And that's a controversial issue outside of Mormonism. I don't think a lot of people like that, particularly like I know in the news a few years back, the Jewish community, because people were you know, baptizing the names of like Holocaust, uh, people who died in the Holocaust and stuff, and their families didn't like that, or they were doing the baptisms for them. So the church says, well, we're providing these ordinances because these are next necessary for salvation. But God's plan is equitable or, you know, it's, it's fair. And so we need to provide these ordinances for those who passed on so that in the spirit world, before they like await final judgment and stuff, they can choose to accept those vicarious ordinances. So, I mean, Mormonism has all kinds of interesting features to it. So my dad basically told me, well, you know, we can just do the ordinances for you when you're dead. That's what he said, basically. So I just thought, I thought, F you, man. And I, I, I kind of, I just lobbed some verbal grenades and Molotov cocktails at them. I actually, I actually haven't talked to them uh, pretty much since over a year. I just kind of ended the relationship, and that's not right for everybody. And but it's just kind of part of the raw, you know, aspect of life. Like psychedelics haven't turned me into like a Zen Buddhist necessarily. I mean, they've definitely helped me work through things, but just a lot of emotion. So, uh, yeah, to answer your question, very, very tricky. And that was, that really hurt when my dad said that. But I've, I'm kind of like, nah, that's him. That's just his thing. You know, he's, the church is very important to him. So. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, no, I, I can identify with so much of what you're sharing. I've not spoken with my mother. It'll be a, a year on my birthday in two weeks wow. that, since I spoke with her, basically because of the church. You know, she's Catholic and I'm a, I'm a drug dealing philanderer according to her you know and it's just uh and my father the same same way so it's the irony of us starting a church and you know this being so much what you're sharing so much of what churches have done historically uh it just it kind of sidelines me, sideswipes me all the time. Like, so weird. But that we're finding ourselves in a position to be able to uh, allow help, um, encourage people to 
gain a different perspective on spirituality that it doesn't have to be this dogma it doesn't have to be this you know hell bound fear driven guilt and shame around every corner we did an interview yesterday with someone who talked about the um gonna get you god right like <laughs> always over your shoulder every things time things are really good call. but you gotta watch out yeah. for they're gonna get you god oh yeah like can't that, be too good <laughs> enjoy that spear fishing a eh? <laughs> exactly yeah. that's there. why i didn't go because god what's that song God gonna get is you. watching us. God, I don't know who sings that song. Yeah. God's gonna get us. Yeah. Well, yeah. Oh, yeah. man. <laughs> My goodness, man. What a journey you have been on. I had no idea we were we were getting into this kind of a conversation. I mean, so, I didn't either, actually. <laughs> you mentioned... Uh, Indeed. So you mentioned other psychedelics. So uh, what would those be? What else have you... Explored yeah, yeah. So um, I try to I, I've I tried to be pretty transparent about it too. Um, so I mentioned that I have I had had some challenges with, with depression. So I think it, it's common in my family. I don't exactly know, you know, how much of depression is uh, genetic versus situational things like that. I think it could could be both. I, I'm just I'm really not an expert on much of anything. So I try to steer away away from that. That's why my podcast is more on the story, just the personal stories and stuff. But um, so when I tried psilocybin, so I had taken an antidepressant SSRI medication, um, like Zoloft or the generic version of it. I actually started it for a little while in high school because my dad had kind of like a near suicide attempt one day. Um, I was about 14. So that was my introduction to mental health. And I knew my grandfather was, uh, he had been diagnosed with schizophrenia. So I'd never even met him. He thought, you know, people were recording his thoughts as though there was something really super valuable <laughs> in them. He's from Canada, actually. So I never got a chance to meet him. Was not a good, not a great guy. He beat my dad, you know, when my dad was a kid and stuff. So my dad was kind of, you know, had a messed up youth. But my dad uh, ended up getting diagnosed with bipolar disorder. So you know, I was kind of familiar with that. So when I started feeling depression, I thought, well, do I have bipolar? I had no idea what distinguished any kind of mental health condition. Because I I would kind of have these uh, suicidal ideations and stuff, and they scared me. And I didn't want them, but I would just feel down in the dumps and <clears throat> have those. So I got on some medication in high school for a while, and then my doctor moved, and I got on a new doctor. I told my parents, you know, because I figured they were knowledgeable about the stuff. And I didn't know about any trauma-releasing stuff. You know, all the stuff that everyone's talking about today, I didn't have any clue about any of that. So... Did do some medication, helped a lot actually in high school, my junior year. New doctor came into town. My doctor moved, got a new one. He's like, Oh, you're good. Just get off this. So then I got real depressed again, but didn't even realize it. You know, sometimes you don't notice these things. And mm -hmm. I, I knew so little of mental health. So by the time I got on my mission, I pretty much had an emotional breakdown because I was in a foreign place. I felt intense pressure. I was homesick. I hated my companion that I was with. Um, I hated what I was doing. I hated knocking on doors, getting rejected, but also God's what was it? God, God's going to get you. You know, like yeah. if I didn't do this, if I didn't complete it, you know, basically there were people on the other side who were going to be disappointed with me and probably be harder finding someone to date because the, the girls want to look for return missionaries. So got on depression medication on my mission, took that the duration of my mission. And that really did help me actually kind of get through and uh, muted some of those real depressive feelings. 
And so I, I stayed on that actually for up until the time I did psychedelics. So I had to taper that down to do psilocybin. But after a while of doing it, it uh, the depression kind of came back. I think I tapered down probably a little too quickly. I was, I was really excited to do, to do the mushrooms. So I did go back on my medication for a while and kind of discovered edible cannabis. And I tried that. My employer said they weren't going to test for it anymore because Nevada passed a law saying employers can't test for cannabis for non-safety like CDL driver type positions. So I was like, okay, I'll try that. And had some wonderful experiences with that. And I was able to do that with my medication. And I mean, I'm going like, uh, this feels like a psychedelic experience here. You know, uh, take you know, 15, 20 milligrams even for me. At first, I, I combined it with some breath work. And mm -hmm. uh, there were a couple times I had like a full on mushroom trip like experience just mm -hmm. with, with cannabis and breath work. Um, not as much now, but the cannabis seems to do in a more subtle way would kind of make me time travel back to different events and surface things, allow me to release a lot of emotion. I get, I can get quite emotional on it and cry. So it's like, I'm not like doing it and going to a party with friends, but it's more like in my bedroom. So tried that. And then interestingly, while I was on, while I was using cannabis, I um, was, had been reading about ayahuasca. I didn't really have an interest in doing that because it just sounded like a very rough experience. But on cannabis, um, <clears throat> had these sort of vision, solution, hallucinations, whatever you want to call them. I kind of like vision because it could have meaning. You know, it kind of has meaning and just that mm -hmm. tied to religion. So felt this strong urge to try um, ayahuasca, actually, and ended up researching how to brew it and make it super easy. You can, like, make it in a crock. But I was, first, I was, like, telling my brother, we need to go to the Amazon. <laughs> I was, like, I was ready to go to the Amazon jungle. I'm, like, how am I going to get my wife to get be okay with me not only spending, <laughs> spending this money, but then being away from home for a week and then coming back, she's going to be pissed. She's going to be like, here, take the kids, you know? Uh, but <laughs> so then I, I realized, oh, you could uh, order the ingredients legally. So I did that, you know, as, you know, whatever dyes that can be used as dyes. So mm -hmm. ended up, but that also required not being on an SSRI. So then I stepped it down as, you know, and this is, could be like a public service announcement too, like a warning <laughs> message as well as some psychedelic experiences are. So I needed to step that down again, let my wife know, you know, okay, I got to do this. I got to try the ayahuasca. Felt like led to it while using the cannabis. So did step that down again and did that a, probably over about a six month period in 2020 or no, 2020 was mushrooms. And then like 2021 was like ayahuasca the first half of the year. Like first half of 2020 was mushrooms. Second half was like cannabis. And then to the beginning of the first half of 2021 was ayahuasca. Had some wild experiences with that. Very profound experiences. Again, traveling back to different, different childhood memories. Um, I had like at one time, my grandfather actually appeared to me at the end of my bed. My eyes were closed, but I could see my room like somehow with my eyes closed and my grandfather appeared to me and he was very important to me. He died when I was four years old. So that was like my first experience with death. Um, he, he appeared to me and he, I mean, I just, I loved the man, you know, he had imperfections. He was very racist and stuff. I learned about that later because uh, of world war two. And, you know, he was, he was racist against Japanese, which, you know, was on, on, on for the whole, the whole thing. And war is unfortunate. Mm -hmm. Um, 
But to me, he was very loving. He always let me, and I, I, physical touch is very important to me. Like I love getting hugged, you know, giving my kids hugs, and you know, I love cuddling with my wife or you know, hugs, kisses, things like that. It's all very important to me. It's always been important to me. My parents weren't really like physical touch kind of love. They like they provided a very nice living for us, a nice life for us. But I would just crawl up in his lap as a little boy. We'd take naps together. You know, I just I've got a picture of me sleeping with my grandpa. And I didn't even remember the sound of his voice, but I just remember being around my grandpa, at, you know, down in this small town in Alaska that he lived in. And so he appeared to me, and I haven't really told anyone this before, but um, he said, uh, he, he was just very loving, and he said, uh, sing your song, Daniel. And I was like, what? I don't know that. I was like, well, thank you, Grandpa, but I didn't really even understand what that meant, because I've always had a fear of singing. So, like, I'd have actually dreams that I was in church up at the pulpit singing and didn't know how to, because I don't know how to sing. So I don't even fully understand the meaning of that yet, but it was very important to me. Um, I suppose it could mean many things, you know, to, to sing your song could, could mean to express yourself in a number of ways. I'm not exactly sure. I don't think I'm going to be on the billboard. But then after that, uh, this was on ayahuasca. So I sort of, I mean, he appeared and then it transitioned and it was, probably one of one of two of the most difficult ayahuasca experiences I had. And I kind of descended into this like abyss of remembering and surfacing all this depression I felt as a young person. And I thought, oh no, I do not want to feel this. I do not want to go back to these memories. Like times where I just felt like, is it even worth it kind of thing? Or would have suicidal ideations, but then would even worry. You know, I never did anything to harm myself. It was just ideations, but would worry, well, God is watching. So if God knows that I took my life, then I'm in trouble because in a lot of Christian communities, you know, suicide was viewed as like a really bad thing for a long time. I think that's kind of softening, but um, and I didn't want to feel that way. You know, I wanted to be happy. So went through this, these really um, painful experiences. And then towards the end of that experience, again, it was like I, I would get transported to different scenes of life. I got transported back to a scene. And some of the stuff, you know, I hadn't really thought about it since it happened. I was like transported back to my parents' living room as a, a four-year-old. And I was playing in this front little room. There's a big window uh, in the living room. I'm just playing on the floor right there. My grandpa was in town visiting because he lived about three hours away in a smaller like seaside town, really fun town called Seward, Alaska. And we lived in Eagle River. And um, <clears throat> I hear my mom say, Daddy. She was called him Daddy. She said, Daddy? Daddy? And she comes over to him. And he, he's starting to slump over. And um, I, I just remember like looking like, oh, no, grandpa, you know. And But I was four, so I don't, that's like all I remember. But it was, you know, he had a stroke. And the next thing was I was in the hospital in Seward. And, you know, he was kind of unconscious. And I cuddled with him on the bed. And then like after that, I just remember my, my uncle coming. In. It was like these just like kind of snapshots. And my uncle opening the door. In my, in my grandparents' house to the upstairs and telling, he was crying, telling me and my cousins, daddy died, you know? So, I mean, I mean, psychedelics have, have surfaced some of the most challenging experiences of my life. And I do want to say I'm very fortunate for people around me who've been understanding and loving as I've kind of worked through, because it gets surfaced and then those emotions are real raw for me. They can be raw for quite a while. So it's nice to have friends to talk about it with and then also to take you know take breaks as needed you know if, if, if needed just to kind of integrate things and live life and also just enjoy day-to-day -day life so yeah so those are uh 
some of the main ones. I did smoke DMT one time. I, I, I'm just not really good. I'm not a very talented smoker, to be honest. I don't know if I'm really good at it. Uh, but smoked DMT one time, and that was pretty crazy. Um, kind of saw God, the old version of God. And this is hard to explain, but I saw the old version of God as this geometric pulsing pattern. I don't even know how to describe it. But I was so angry at him that I somehow killed him <laughs> in this DMT realm. And that pattern like kind of died. And then this new one just like burst out. And it was like, it was pulsing in a different way and with different colors. And that was like my new, my new God. And the new God had no bounds, had no dogma, no doctrine. It was mm -hmm. just, it, it was love and and like mystery and, you know, all these things that are actually kind of more comfortable for me now to have as a God, I guess, kind of, kind of unusual, but. Oh, so it's pretty beautiful. Um, and it serves as a, a bit of a bridge where but what you're bringing up here is uh, connects back to Joseph Smith and this idea of the um, uh, visions through psychedelics. I've never heard the, even the possibility that he consumed psychedelics. Um, and it also relates to this conversation that we were having prior to recording uh, in terms of some of the uh, phenomena that is occurring more and more prevalently in our skies. So I'm curious, your, your thoughts on this interface of psychedelic visions angelic beings, aliens, wh whatever, you know, and like, I don't really even know how to ask the question, if there is even a question other than how are you integrating these different phenomena into a cosmology? So this is interesting. So I, I think the way I can best describe it is just by kind of telling a, a few stories of things that have happened <clears throat> in my life. And it has been since psychedelics, really, um, that are related to this whole, these multiple kind of pheno phenomena that are maybe related. I don't, I actually don't, I'm not really sure. Right. Um, <clears throat> so I'll just kind of share my, my personal stories and then Listeners can judge them however they want, interpret them however they want. I'm not exactly sure how to interpret them myself. Mm -hmm. um, and I want to stay open-minded, too. So uh, right around the time I first did um, psilocybin, or no, was it psilocybin? No, no, I think it was um, right around the first time I did uh, ayahuasca. I actually can't remember. It might have been psilocybin. It's like I didn't really see the initial UAP stuff come out like right away when it came out in 2017. I actually, I probably did, but my brain probably just kind of dismissed it because I was still all in on Mormonism. And I think some our worldview uh, can, I think, sometimes help us just deflect things that disagree with it without even sure. really you know, considering it. Our just brains just do that. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, what is this? Whatever. Yeah, some grainy black and white video. Yeah, I could somebody these days. <laughs> these days, I mean, it's like somebody could create something way more convincing with some graphic software or right. something, you know. So, um, but then right around, okay, 
I think it was 2020. Yeah, because it was right during COVID is when they started in the news. It started, they really started talking more about it. And we had just watched E.T. with our kids because we were kind of trying to show them some of these 80s videos. And I'm like, oh, hey, guys, here's this alien one, <laughs> you know, E.T., you know. And then, like, shortly after that, I see these, they're talking about UAPs. And I tell the family, I'm like, what? So they tell me E.T.'s real or something, you know. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, what is this? I don't get this. This is just, you know, I, I grew up just thinking this is science fiction. So then one of my ayahuasca experiences, um, I towards the end of it, because ayahuasca, I feel like mushrooms more consistently get you into that m mushroom space or realm. Ayahuasca, sometimes depending on the dosage, it's hard to measure the DMT. If you vomit before it really crosses the blood, you know, the, the blood barrier or whatever of the gut, mm -hmm. then you can have a lighter experience. Well, this one, uh, this one time, I, I threw up so hard in the bath. Like, I tried to make it to the bathroom and I just got to the bathtub, and I, I, I vomited so hard that I, I was, like, trying to, like, call out for help, but I, co I couldn't. And, and af after that, I just, like, kind of shook my head because I was, like, oh, like, trying to just get this out of my, my system, like, stuff in my mouth. I started shaking my head, and I, like, broke through into this, D this some kind of DMT realm. These colors just, like, you know, the most vivid thing ever. And right in front of me is this gray alien. And I'm like, what the hell is this? You know, I'm like, so far, uh, these psychedelics have shown me like personal things, interesting things. And here I'm like, maybe sometimes it just shows you random things from your mind. I, and I, I don't know. So I had that happen. I didn't tell anyone about it. Um, this is with your eyes closed? Closed. Open. Yeah, okay. closed. I mean, yeah, I was just in the bathroom. I, I just like closed my eyes and shook my head. And then it was like, you know. My third eye open, I guess. <laughs> Regular yeah. eyes closed, third eye open, something like that. And again, it just felt like I'm not going to tell anyone about this. This is kind of, they'll just think this is really stupid. Mm -hmm. So I didn't. But then right after that, all these things, weird things started happening. Like we saw this show called The Phenomenon, I think on Netflix. And we watched it. And it was just, just a very common sense approach. I think it was James Fox guy. He was on Joe Rogan. He talked about it. He talked about these children in Af Africa, like Zim was it Zimbabwe, Zimbabwe or something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They all shared the same experiences, drew these pictures and things. Mm -hmm. They start talking about the um, that there's a there's a couple I forget their name, Betty and Barney Hill yeah. uh -huh. things. And I'm going, this is like so. I find myself going now. I, I kind of. I'd gone down the Mormon rabbit hole, then I went down the psychedelics <laughs> rabbit hole. Now I'm going down the alien rabbit hole. I'm like, oh my god, another rabbit hole? Like this is a natural strange. progression. <laughs> yeah. I would say As one would expect, go. right? Yeah, one, two, three. Easy. So I start I start um, you know, studying all, all things aliens. <laughs> and to my surprise, my wife and kids are kind of like, oh, this is interesting too. So we're all kind of going, huh, maybe, you know, because we're more open-minded and you know my son he's like i think jesus was an alien like an extra an ultra terrestrial you know he's like he's starting to, you know he's he's coming up with ideas he loves it he loves it he's trying to tell his friends about aliens he's like well have you heard about this you know and they're like a lot of them are like protestant christians and stuff they're in this homeschool group so it's like a variety of people and they're like well, no that can't be possible but uh um and then then i started coming across this um some podcasts where people talked about having experiences with like orbs and stuff, seeing orbs and these things. I'm like, what is that? And 
like I read about, uh, listen to this guy, Chris Bledsoe, who has a very kind of wild story. And I didn't know if I believed it, but I'm like, and then I'm looking at his Instagram and he's like posting videos of these like orbs. And then I found this other guy that commented on his that showed some real vivid images of these orbs. And again, it's like someone could look at it and go, nah, you know, not very impressive. You know, it's, or even if it was, they could be like, you know, it's like CGI or like, oh, that's a satellite. But then some of them would kind of change directions and stuff. Mm -hmm. So, so I ended up having a really weird experience one night. And again, listeners can judge us however they want. I, yeah, it could be just some weird, I don't know, anomaly, something like that. But, um, Basically, I'm out in my backyard. I'm just kind of looking at the stars. I kind of enjoy doing that in the summer out here in Vegas, you know, when the skies are clear, just laying out there and listening to music or whatever, looking at the stars. And um, I started noticing uh, this, like I saw what looked like, at first I thought it was a satellite, but then it, it kind of flashed and then moved and then like changed directions and then faded away. Kind of looked like a star. So I'm like, well, what the hell is that? I don't know. Kind of like, and I, I'm a little worried to tell anyone because I don't want them to think I'm crazy. And then actually, so I, I haven't told this really anyone outside my family just because, I, again, I figured people think I'm crazy, but you know, whatever, I guess. So, uh, and then one night I'm out there and I felt this uh, like warm static feeling kind of on my arm, uh, like really warm, like, like very unmistakable, kind of felt like a presence, honestly. And I, I don't, I don't remember, I don't think I was on anything um, and just had this kind of weird experience there. And then that later that night um, or the next night, like our trash, one of our trash cans or out in the back, I was out in the backyard my kids were watching TV and one of our trash cans that was full like, moved like 10 feet across the, the patio. And my kids heard it. Our dog started barking. I heard it. They come out and we're all like, what the hell just happened, you know? And so that was kind of weird. Um, it wasn't, it, it was like, there's a little breeze, but I don't think that trash can can move that, <laughs> that far, yeah. you know? So kind of weird. And then we started having these weird, my wife started hearing these weird sounds in our house at night and like things crashing and then you go, there's nothing there. Um, so it happened for a little while, just some weird stuff. My daughter said she was hearing, scratching sounds under her bed, which I'm like, oh crap, you know, so some weird things, I can't explain them, I don't know what they mean, you know, anything like that. Most of those kind of subsided, but we've had a few experiences, like my son, who's six, was like, guys, come here, you know, he was in the backyard, this was in broad daylight, kind of in the evening, and we look out, and I sent you some videos of this, it was kind of, I didn't do a good job, I was watching it, and I was just holding my phone in my hand, and my phone would drift away, because I, I was just watching my eyes, but He's like, those things flashed at me. And I look up and it's like these like black spheres. There was a series of them in that and just hanging in the air. And there was like a cluster of them. And I zoomed in on them and they appeared to be like circling each other. And I, but again, you know, so I, I posted it on Instagram, Facebook. And was like, hey, what do you guys think? And I got some interesting messages from people who were like, I'm a believer. You know, they're like, this is like, there's something going on here. And then other people were like, well, it looks like a drone or, you know, whatever, which is totally cool. I don't know. And then I also saw one time we're at a park, a pretty busy park. And I'm like, Eli, what is that? Look up in, in the sky and see this like silverish looking thing. And I zoom in on my camera and it, it looked like a blob. I thought, is that a balloon, like a weather balloon? But I looked up weather balloons after and they usually look pretty like tight 
you know, the, the aluminums or the whatever the foil or whatever is like pretty expanded. This one was kind of like morphing and moving a little bit, um, appeared to be, and I don't know what it was. And then like I took a video and then I, I, I like I was watching the video and then I look up and it's, it's gone. And I, it's funny because while it was there, I'd asked this lady, I was like, hey, what do you think that is? This other mom, she's like, I don't know, maybe it's a UFO. <laughs> I was like, yeah, this is kind of funny. Like a soccer mom. So, um, so yeah, and I haven't had, it's not like I'm seeing these things every day. I actually haven't had a lot of experience with that. So I don't know what to think of it all, but, you know, I think the psychedelics kind of opened my mind up to thinking like, well, we're here in this realm. I feel like I've traveled, to, I've somehow experienced other realms on psychedelics or, you know, these different, when I interview you guys for my podcast, you know, these experiences, you've, you've had experiences in these different realms. You guys are very experienced, probably more than most, especially because all the work you've done with, you know, in Jamaica and then with your church too. And, you know, it sounds like you guys have experienced these different like energetic type things. And I'm like, well, you know, I don't know, I guess anything's possible. I don't really know. Um, so just trying to keep an open mind and mm -hmm. see where things go with all of it. But there's some really interesting shows and documentaries coming out about people who've experienced these things and then experienced like interesting synchronicities and stuff. Like even some of those people who are on that ship with the Tic Tacs, one of the guys who, who was like saw it on the radar and kind of had to end his career after and, you know, because uh, he got made fun of and stuff. And then now they're coming out and going, well, yeah, actually we do see this stuff and we don't exactly know, how, you know, it's kind of, it can move in ways that our our military stuff can't or I, I don't know it's all real interesting mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it is interesting and it's interesting to me that the only aside from science fiction the only touch point that we really really have to relate to are religious writings about these angels or beings and not just judeo-christian literature but going into sumerian writings you know some of the yeah. older some of the oldest stuff that's out there and it just it's it's funny how quickly something that seems to have been a recognized part of our experience in a relatively short period of time could become so stigmatized that it can put you in the loony bin you know, yeah. kind of thing. Yep. And and now, you know, after having so many people who have just been ridiculed because they're trying to share a story that's so powerful and it doesn't matter to me, I don't really care what it is that happened, but someone had such a powerful experience that they need to relate that and we need to give them the respect to be able to do that without judgment. You know, and now, again, like we've got the, the military from around the world that is confirming at least sightings, if not interactions. And there, there is just so much that we do not know. And that's one of the things that I love most about psychedelics and the stories like you're collecting is that it is compiling a bunch of, I don't know what's going on, you know? <laughs> We, we need to bring the mystery back into life. You yes. Know, it's it's it, in, in this kind of Newtonian or Descartian, you know, materialistic world that this is how things function. One plus one plus one is three. Have you ever listened to uh, this guy? He's a young um, physicist, Deep Prasad, I think is his name. I think He's, I have. That sounds familiar. 
I'm sure I've at least heard some, watched some clips, but I'll, I'll look him up after. Yeah, I encourage everyone to look him up. He's he has a uh, an engineering company that they are they are back engineering um, quantum travel. Yes, just through just through visual evidence that they're seeing from these UAPs. Actually, and, I just watched a clip of that just the other day. Actually, okay. okay. Yeah, yeah. He, he's kind of starting to come into the mainstream. But I was watching a clip of him talking about how everything functions on a quantum in a in a superposition, and we have this perception that, like, you know, you're here as this physical being, and what psychedelics have helped me absorb or experience more is this this multifaceted expression of everything nothing is as simple and when we think about ourselves or the people that we know and love and life as it is it's so much more complicated it's so much more dynamic than we can ever imagine so it's so foolish of us to continue to believe that that things are as we perceive them. <clears throat> I com I completely agree. I like what you said about bringing the mystery mystery back to life. Mm. Yeah, it's wow. it's just funny. Like I I didn't grow up. Uh, I grew up in and out of a Baptist church. Um, we were kind of like halfway Baptist. I don't know. My my dad was not religious at all. He grew up like with people smacking him on the forehead in church and talking in tongues. And he was like, forget that. He's out. I'm not yeah. doing that. Yeah. So he's kind of like, he's not religious, but my mom kind of tries to be. Uh, and so anyway, I don't, I don't really have much re religious trauma, um, but I do remember being in and out of church and hearing about angels and these visions and, you know, just feel, I remember being a kid and just, thinking like that is crazy like that is so crazy like people kind of like what you shared um thinking this that's really cool like i'd like to have a vision and talk to an angel that sounds pretty cool <laughs> but, like, yeah. it is so funny that nowadays like if you were to say that like you've said several times throughout this show like if i were to share this with somebody they think i'm crazy but that's what the majority of our society who's pra practicing some religion that's based in someone having a vision and seeing extraterrestrials or whatever angel whatever you want to call them isaiah the prophet in the, the biblical prophet isaiah is i mean it's just a pure drug like psychedelic <laughs> alien weirdness like yeah it's just yeah like don't you realize your religion is based in people talking to aliens but you're not a prophet <laughs> well that's yeah after i did psychedelics i'm like oh i now i understand these texts better you know these mm -hmm. all these i'm like mm -hmm. i get it now or not not i get it but like oh i have a different perspective now yeah like, yeah okay yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, Daniel, man. I actually, I hate to cut this conversation, man. This know, is wonderful. Really oh, this We're going to have to have you back on, man. This is great. Yeah. Let's do it again. I mean, yeah. this has been so much fun. Um, thank you so much for having me on. And again, for allowing me to share some unusual stuff without judgment and just being able to chat about this stuff. I love your guys' podcast. Um, it's awesome. I'm really glad you're doing one together because 
you, know, you kind of get to know the host when you're listening to a podcast to mm-hmm. some degree. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, Eric, I kind of felt like I got to know you back when you did Psilocybin Chronicles. And then when you started your new one, I'm like, oh, this is great. I don't, I didn't even know who Courtney was. I didn't even know you guys were married at first. <laughs> I thought you just like worked together at the church. And I'm like, oh, okay, they're married. Like, oh, this is awesome. Yeah. So really yeah, enjoy your guys' podcast. Thank you. Yeah. Well, well, you know, we want people to see that psychedelics can be a part of a healthy family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? They absolutely yeah. can. And we didn't even talk about whether or not your wife's had any experiences with psychedelics or not. She has. She has, actually. Yeah. Okay. She's had right. some very powerful experiences and actually just recently said, I think I might be ready to do you know, ayahuasca again soon. So she's done mushrooms and uh, mushrooms ayahuasca and edible cannabis as well she like on edible cannabis she can like trip out it's like a like a good mushroom trip every time for her basically mm-hmm. so well yeah, maybe we so. can do a couples oh that'd be cool interview that would be sometime fun. that would be yeah. fun we'll have to get her yeah. on yeah she'll be that. nervous but i think she might be more willing to do it with me too because uh-huh. she she gets real emotional talking talking about i mean i got i guess i got real emotional too but you know, talking about some of the stuff because she also relived our son's death and yeah. hers was, you know, even she, she found him, you know, so, um, but yeah, that'd be fun to do a couple's. So couple's yeah. Well, that's, and you know, that's uh, another awesome thing about the show and interviewing um, like this is the, for the people listening, that's really, that can be really healing, like hearing emotion, mm-hmm. you know, that's something that we don't get, to do a lot in our culture and like it's yeah. it's good we need it's good to release to it share. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah i also want to just express gratitude for you relating that cannabis is a psychedelic yeah because we you know we have just normalized it to some extent or it's not even the normalization of it it is how we have brought it into the culture is like alcohol and like uh, other common substances and cannabis is such a powerful mm-hmm. powerful substance especially when uh, used as an edible so uh, i appreciate you bringing that into the conversation and uh so, yeah just well, to want to encourage our listeners to go out check out daniel's mm-hmm. podcast psychedelic stories he's got got a growing list of stories related to the psychedelic experience courtney and i did a uh, each did a separate interview with him and look forward to sharing those with you all and uh, just look forward to another conversation with you, Daniel. Sounds good. Yeah. Thanks, uh, Courtney and Eric. Oh, oh, wait, we all, we almost forgot our question. Uh Oh, good one. So oh, I've actually, I was preparing for this. I was preparing oh, okay. for this. Yeah, <laughs> I forgot so. about it. So what does psilocybin say to you? Uh, lately it's, it said, uh, I think you're ready. I think you're ready to come back and, and, uh, you know, visit the mushroom space again. So I cannot, uh, confirm nor deny whether there is, uh, you know, mycelium growing in my closet. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> no Great. judgment either way. <laughs> exactly. There you go. Uh, from here. All right, Daniel. All right. Thank you so much again, and look forward to talking with you more. <laughs>